Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Khan, founder of Being Patient. Well, today we're going to talk about palliative care um, in managing um, the care of dementia. Um, it's a, a specialty um, of Erin Zarodnik. She's at the University of Chicago and she specializes, she's an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience. Erin, um, thanks uh, so much for, for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, I think we have got us up. I have to be honest. I, I often thought of palliative care as really in the later stages. Um, so how do we start? How do you define palliative care? Definitely a good question. Um, and it's confusing for a lot of people. So you can think of palliative care as kind of the umbrella term for essentially symptomatic man management of patients who have any sort of really serious illness. Um, it doesn't have to be a terminal illness. It could be something like a curable cancer. Um, and it could be something that has no cure like dementia. Um, and it's really, it, it kind of varies as to what it includes, but you know, essentially it's support of the patient and of the family. Um, it can be medication support. It could be psychological support. It could just be um, someone to kind of help you make those decisions that have to be made if you're going through a serious illness. Um, and then there are different aspects of palliative care. So hospice, which is really the end of life, is um, just a part of palliative care. And so that's a very specialized version of it. And it involves kind of changing your insurance benefits and um, very specific care that you're allowed. Um, it involves kind of having a whole team. Um, and it's really for people who are at the end of life. So traditionally six months or less. Um, but palliative care in general can be for anyone. So, so it's really um, a management system. It's a plan on like really all aspects, right, of care. I mean, um, and I and I love this because you know, as somebody who um, has a loved one with dementia that's so badly needed, at no matter wh what stage you're you're at. Um, so let's kind of wa um, walk me through it in, um, um, in 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 a timely fashion, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. In the beginning, I assume in an earlier stage, you are speaking directly to people who have been diagnosed with dementia. Am I right about that? Most of the time, yes. Uh -huh. So what are some of the issues at that early stage that, that often come up that you need to pay attention to in order to get a plan in place? So the biggest thing is probably thinking about um, practical matters like um, who is your power of attorney um, or your healthcare decision maker? It, the term varies depending on what state you're in. Um, and do you have that in place? Do you have the paperwork? Have you talked to the person and let them know that they are in fact your power of attorney? Um, and have you discussed um, end of life decisions that you want made? Um, this, um, so this can be really um, important to do early on when a patient has um, more uh, awareness and is able to make their own decisions and really explain what's going on and um, to engage in conversations with family members. Um, so 
a lot of times people are really reluctant to do this, especially with dementia, because we don't think about dementia necessarily as a terminal illness. It's like a memory problem, um, but it really is a terminal illness. Um, so, so what do you tell what what do you tell your patient or your your you know your patients at that point? I mean, at that very beginning pay, stage, um, what do you how do you equip them with with the plan to like you said this is a long term illness this is mm -hmm. this is really coming up with the playbook um, through the course of many changes. Mm -hmm. So in in steps, small steps, we have time with dementia. It's not a a quick moving disease for the most part. It's very slow and you don't want to overwhelm people. Um, just hearing that you have a diagnosis of dementia can be um, pretty shocking sometimes to people, um, sometimes not to the patient depending on how far along they are, but definitely can be to the family member just to hear those words, especially if you hear the words Alzheimer's because it's kind of notorious. Um, so just, you know, letting them get used to that idea first and then step by step, you know, deciding, okay, should we, should we talk about who's going to be your decision maker now? Should we talk about what things look like as the disease progresses? Where are, where's the patient and the family with their understanding of what's going on and are they ready to talk about it yet? Do, do, I mean, I would imagine um, a lot of people seek um, palliative care when they're in a state of crisis. I mean, that's really when you kind of look for quick, quick solutions. Um, do you find that, that, you know, maybe you're seeing people when more behavioral issues are, are coming up because that's almost when you reach the, the point of crisis management? Yes, I would say 100%. Well, maybe I'll say like 98%. <laughs> Um, the people that I see with dementia, whether it's early or late stage, it's because there is some sort of symptom going on, um, especially later stage, uh, patient and family are really suffering and they need someone to talk to about it. So what are, um, I, I imagine things like um, behavioral changes, um, you know, outbursts, um, hallucinations. What does that look like when you turn to palliative care? It's really the same concept. Um, ultimately, there's not a ton of difference from the approach that I would take if I was doing just palliative care or if I was doing just geriatric psychiatry. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to separate because I do both of them together, but it's really the same approach. You're just trying to help the family um, find out what their goals are for the patient um, and um, what you can help most with. And, and you know and that's sometimes medication and it's sometimes working without medication um, it, it really depends on what they're interested in so um i i guess this is a it's it's tricky to generalize but we often get this question um on on being patient which is when is the when do you know it's the right time to turn to medication well, it depends on what medication. So there are, um, and it depends what symptom you're having. If you're coming and you're, you're feeling like you're just really anxious or really depressed and it's pretty early stages, then, you know, you can, you can go on traditional antidepressants if that's something that you're interested in. Um, I think when we're talking about really medication and dementia, most of the time it's, it's the stronger drugs, the 
antipsychotic medication when people start to have a lot of paranoia and delusions and that kind of a thing. Um, and, and really the starting point is when things are becoming dangerous for the patient or the caregiver. And um, so it can be, you know, somebody's in physical danger because the patient's combative. It could be that the patient um, really keeps wandering out of the house um, and you've tried all these different techniques to try and get that to stop. Um, the patient keeps calling the police. That's really common actually and saying, you know, there's an intruder in my house and then they come and it's actually their wife. And, you know, once when police get involved, that's, that's a big sign too. We don't want that to continue. I mean, one of the things that strikes me too about dementia is like, you know, I like I have a I have a parent with Alzheimer's. I have many friends who also have parents um, with dementia. The symptoms are strikingly the same, right? Mm -hmm. What you just mentioned, like someone's come in and is stealing my stuff, or you know, um, getting getting confused um, that people are coming into the house and taking my things, and you know, do we know? Um, why this, these, like, why inside the brain does this happen? This paranoia happen? Do we know what, which part of the brain it impacts um, in order to kind of create these very similar behavioral reactions? Mm -hmm. um, we don't, at least that I know of. And I've always been curious about that too, because, you know, you're right. It's the same. I can list off the delusions and people are just nodding and saying, oh, yes, yes, you know, yeah. Um, yesterday, my mom insisted that she was, you know, in her own childhood home and that they were, you know, waiting for their dad to come home. And, and I just didn't know what to do. And she thought I was her mother and, um, you know, people coming in and stealing things. It's it's so common and they're they're really similar. Um, but so to sure. ask so so to, mm -hmm. to ask the psychiatrist side of you um mm -hmm. if we're talking about non-medications what what's the strategy we should all be employing to to really avert crisis really it's just um behavioral modifications and making sure that that families really understand um what dementia is and what the behaviors are and how to interact with the person um, that's probably the best intervention, better than medication and all of that. So, um, so for example, your loved one is having an outburst saying someone's come in and stolen everything. And, you know, the worst thing you could possibly do is say, no, they haven't. Right. Is that right? Or yes. so what should we be saying? Yes. The best thing, uh, um, if they're saying something like that or, you know, anything that doesn't quite make sense is just to go with it. Um, just to go along with it and maybe change the subject pretty quickly so you don't get entangled in it. Um, yep, I'm I'm sorry. We're we're going to look into that. Um, the the locksmith is coming tomorrow to check on that. We've got cameras installed. Um, what do you want for dinner tonight? You know, just just going along with it. Um, there's no way you're ever going to convince somebody that their delusion is not true. That's in general, um, and certainly not when they're. It, when it's coming from a dementia, it's just going to cause a lot of agitation and fight. So I say just just go with it. It's okay. So, but what, how do you deal with the anger? What if the person is really angry and combative and starts to kind of take a swing at you, which we hear all the time. That's quite a normal stage 
Um, when somebody is in, you know, a, a really angry state, somebody who's never heard a fly before will, will, will swat the, the caregiver, you know, what do you do then? Well, I mean, the best thing is not to, to try and avert those instances from getting to that point. But if, you know, it's happened, um, you just think that the, the person is reacting that way because they're scared, because um, their brain is confused, that they don't understand what's going on, they don't understand who you are, um, and they're just reacting kind of instinctually, like a little kid would do if they were approached by a stranger that was trying to grab at them. Um, they were, they're, they're scared, and so how, how would you treat, you know, a scared stranger that was lost? You'd kind of, you know, keep your voice low, kind of, you know, talk in a calming tone, back away a little bit. Um, you know, if the patient is safe, you can kind of step out of the room. Um, if they're trying to, you know, fall out of their wheelchair or something, then you, that's, that's a little iffy, but, you know, back away, talk softly, maybe put on some soothing music, really try not to engage with the anger, just kind of project the calm because people pick up on your emotions too. Yeah. And so if you're just thinking calm thoughts, even if you're, you're also really stressed, you're just thinking nice, calm beach day you know, pushing that out towards them, you know, that's, that's, that can be really helpful for calming the situation. Well, and they always say like people with dementia can feel right. They, they might not remember, but they can still feel emotion. And so, oh, yes. yeah, separating that. Um, so I, I want to ask you another question about the medications because we get a lot of questions um, about medications and mainly that, I mean, there's a lot of, you mentioned antipsychotics before. There's a lot of different antipsychotics on the market. Um, we have people who have written in and, and said, you know, they've tried many different combinations ones. Like, how should we look at that? I mean, if it comes to, to, actually having to consult your doctor, which a person would do in order to, uh, I mean, we hear, you never know how the person is going to react to a certain medication. So in a way it's kind of like trial and error. Is, mm -hmm. is it, is there a better way to do it? I mean, cause I, you know, some people, the medication works really well. Other people, they have to change their medicine four or five times before they find something. And some people never find the right combination. So why is that? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, those are antipsychotic medications and therefore treating schizophrenia. And even though you have delusions and paranoia and schizophrenia, it's not the same thing as these delusions and paranoia and dementia. So we're kind of throwing these medications at somebody and hoping that, you know, a few of the receptors they stick to are going to be the ones that help this person. But we don't really know. And that's why you get such varied responses. Um, a lot of geriatric psychiatrists kind of have their own regimen. You know, they have their favorite medications they use. You know, I have a couple that I use. There's one I use, another I use, and then, you know, then we move on to something else. Um, and it depends on their experience. So as a site, I mean, I, I, we hear a lot of complaints that sometimes these antipsychotics make or antidepressants make the person not like, like, it, almost like they're in a comatose state, right? Mm -hmm. Just like quiet and almost zombie-like. And mm -hmm. that's almost equally as hard, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. probably a little bit easier to manage than the combativeness, but at the same time, if you're, you're, your mom's no longer, like seems like your mom in personality at all, then that's a really hard thing to, to take. So 
what do you say as a doctor, like how should people, how, how do you know in terms of psychiatry and palliative care, palliative care being coming up with the management of all of this, how does one know right what the right balance is? Well, so that's actually straight from palliative care. And that, that involves having a goals of care conversation with the family, um, which is here's the medications that, that are traditionally used. Um, are you, you know, what's important to you? What's important to your mother? Is the goal for, you know, your mother to be calm no matter what? Is the goal for her to be awake and, you know, as calm as we can get her, but, but primarily awake? Um, you know, what, what is the thought process there? And people have different ideas and that can help you figure out, you know, maybe what medication you're going to go with or how often you're going to give it or what dose you're going to use or even if you're gonna use that kind of medication. So um, Aaron, is there like when, when you kind of look at the range of your practice, um, can you give us like a sum it up about like just things that we really need to think about as we move through this journey? I mean, you know, like we talked about in the beginning, um, so, uh, old needs are replaced by new needs. You're kind of moving through different stages. Old problems replace new pro are replaced by new problems. Um, it's certainly a test of resiliency. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what what do you say to to your patients? I mean, both caregivers and 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 people with dementia. What is the key to really managing all of this? The key is really support. Um, the patients are usually aware, well, not always, but sometimes they're aware for a time, but that generally goes away. So the burden lies on the caregivers and support is so, so important. Um, earlier, the better. I mean, just even if it's an online group, if it's just reading a book or an article about something, watching a video, anything where you can, you can look at it and you're definitely going to say, oh, they get it. You know, that sounds familiar. That's what I'm going through just that sense of I'm not alone and I'm not isolated is, is really important because, you know, if, if you as a caregiver are really stressed, then, you know, the, the patient's going to be stressed. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's important to take care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a question coming in from someone saying, what resources should people start looking into after they or a loved one received a diagnosis? That is after they go to beingpatient.com, but I'll leave that right. to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it depends where you are. I mean, uh, one of the places that I work at University of Chicago is a geriatric medicine clinic. And so it's kind of integrated. There's me, the psychiatrist, there's the geriatricians or social workers. So we have kind of internal resources there. In general, I direct people to the Alzheimer's Foundation, even if they don't have Alzheimer's, if they have any kind of dementia, just because they have so many resources and branches in so many places. Yeah, and one of the things that um, we're trying to do at Being Patient is give people access to people like yourself um, so that when they have the, these questions, you, you have access. I mean, you know, we hear a lot problem with caring of, of um, someone with dementia is you, you see your doctor maybe once every six months and a lot of questions come up as we know in the between those appointments. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's really helpful um, to have a coordinated plan, as you mentioned. Um, and um, 
Um, do you do you have any place where people can go to that you publish your geriatric research, or you know, is there is there a site um, at University of Chicago? Um, we have our department website, which is um, a little bit under construction right now. Okay. So there's not a lot to find there, but um, I think really through through University of Chicago geriatric medicine is really where you would find the most resources. Okay, and um, you know we will we can we can post the link um, in in this Facebook um, chat. So thank you so much, Erin, for your time. Um, I know it's a badly needed service um, for many, many people. So we appreciate your focus on geriatrics and psychiatry palliative care, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, and you know, to our audience, we continually publish these interviews. We'll upload them on our site on beingpatient.com. If you have a suggestion for an expert you would like us to approach or a topic, please, by all means, um, email us at info at beingpatient.com. Thanks very much for watching. Um, if you missed any of this interview, head over to beingpatient.com and sign up for our newsletter for news of upcoming talks. Thanks very much for watching.